I invite you tonight to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. Over the last many weeks, we've been looking together at the description in Exodus of the tabernacle of the Lord, sometimes referred to as the tent of meeting. And we've seen how the Lord has given very specific instructions to Moses on how this tabernacle, this place of worship, is to be built. And while we are very much removed from the setting of ancient Israel and the worship at the tabernacle or the temple, I think we've seen that we've learned some things about who the Lord is and some things about what's important to the Lord in his description to Moses of how this tabernacle is to be built. I think some of the things that we've seen are, one, our God is holy. Our God is holy. He is righteous. And in as he is worshipped, he is to be honored as holy and as righteous. And so everything that went into the tabernacle, the design, the colors, the beauty, the best materials that went into it, all of it was designed to give honor and glory to the Holy One, to the Holy Creator of the universe. We also saw in the tabernacle and, and also with the description of the sacrifices, the priesthood, we, we've seen and been reminded of the fact that we're sinners. So we have a holy God on the one hand who is pure and righteous, in whom there is no darkness at all. And then you have us who are sinners, who are flawed, who are imperfect. How, do, how can we relate to a holy God as sinners? How can, how can God dwell in the midst of his people? That's really what the tabernacles is. It's God's house, isn't it? It's a, God, it's a place for God's presence to come and dwell above there, the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubim. How can God dwell in the midst of a sinful people? The only way he can is by means of sacrifice, by means of atonement, by the mediation of a priesthood that can represent us before God. But thanks be to God that now that we live in the new covenant age, we don't have a specific tent where we go to meet God. We don't have a specific building like a temple where we go to meet God. What we have instead is we have the people of God that become the house of God when we gather together. And instead of having a human priesthood that is flawed and broken and needs to offer sacrifices for their own sins before they can offer sacrifices for the people, we have a perfect high priest, don't we? A perfect high priest who has once for all laid down his life for us, has offered his atoning blood as the means of atonement for our sins. And now we have the forgiveness of, of sins and the righteousness of God granted to us by faith. We, don't, we no longer need these animal sacrifices. We no longer need the priesthood of Aaron. We have the way right to the throne of God through the work of Jesus Christ for us. So we've seen how important this tabernacle is, this tent of meeting. So, so many chapters devoted to it in this portion of God's word shows us how important it was to God. And now we come to chapter 31, where we finished the description of the design of the tabernacle. And now we come in chapter 31 to a, uh, the Lord's appointment and call of certain men to oversee that whole work. 
These are specially called out people who would oversee the whole work that has just been described. All the, all the manufacturing of all the special pieces of furniture, the, the weaving together of the linen, the fashioning of the wood and the furnishings, the, the overlaying with gold, the metalwork. These men are going to oversee all of that. It's a very holy work. It's a holy work that God has called them to. And then at the end of the passage, there's a reminder of holy rest. And God specifically calls his people to remember the Sabbath and to honor him by resting on that seventh day. And so let's read this passage together and we'll see holy work and holy rest. Chapter 31 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts, Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant law, with the atonement cover on it, and all the other furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I commanded you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days work is to be done. But the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the few moments that we have tonight to read your word, to reflect on the truths that are found there. Lord, give us insight and wisdom. Give us understanding that we might uh, know what this passage of scripture is teaching us, how we might apply it and put it into practice in our lives. God, uh, as you gave your Holy Spirit to Bezalel and Aholiab, we ask for your spirit tonight to teach us and draw us into the truths of your word. So, Lord, bless this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In the first part of this passage, with the appointment of Bezalel and Aholiab, I think the the point that this passage of Scripture is teaching us is that God calls and gifts people 
for his holy work. God calls and he gifts people for his holy work. As we look at these two men, Bezalel and Aholiab, they were uniquely chosen and called by God for this special task, weren't they? In verse number two, it says, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri. Literally there, it says, I have called him by name. And it is the idea of a a special selection of God's choice upon an individual. Now, I hope to make some applications to us from these men and what what they were doing on behalf of, of the Lord and his people. But before I make those applications, I do want us to understand that these men were specially called and fulfilled a special role in the history of God's people. So, in other words, whatever applications that I I try to draw from this and apply to us, we're not Bezalel and we're not Aholiot. They had a special calling from God for this task. They had special unction, anointing from the Lord with the giving of His Spirit for this task. He blessed them over and above, I believe, their natural abilities to engage in this task. So we're not Bezalel, we're not Aholiab. They were special, unique for this occasion. But I do think that there are some things here that are very insightful for us to understand, even as New Covenant believers. And one of the things that I think that this passage teaches us through these men is that one does not need to be an appointed or an anointed priest or an ordained clergy to engage in holy work for the Lord. I think sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking there is ordinary work and then there's holy work. And the holy work is like being a pastor or a missionary or an evangelist or some kind of full-time service. But other work is just regular work. It's not holy work. And what I think is interesting about this passage is that these men were specifically called by God to this service, but it wasn't called to preach, was it? They weren't called to preach. They weren't called to be a missionary. They weren't called to be an evangelist. They weren't called into what we might consider our like full-time holy occupations, like Aaron and the priests. So you have Moses, who's specially called by God to be the leader. You have Aaron that we've just looked at, is specifically called by God to serve as the high priest, and his sons were set apart to serve as priests and mediators between God and his people. Those are what we think of as more holy occupations. But here's Bezalel and Aholiab, and, and what were they good at? They were good at working with their hands, weren't they? They were good at, at, at building things out of wood. They were good at designing things and, and melting and fashioning things out of precious metals. They were, they were skilled in all kinds of areas in artistry, in making beautiful things. They were very talented individuals. And then I believe God, even over and above that, blessed them with super talent to be able to complete this project. But but they were men who engaged in what we would consider as blue-collar work, right? Working with their hands. And yet, God says, this is holy work. This is holy work. They These men weren't from the tribe of Levi. They weren't called as priests. Uh, Bezalel is from the tribe of Judah. Aholiab is from the tribe of Dan. 
They're just what we might call ordinary individuals amidst the people of Israel, but they're called by God to use their talents and their abilities in this special service for the Lord. And so in order to consider yourself engaged in holy work, it doesn't necessarily have to be what we would normally consider as holy occupations. These were men who were engaged in holy work. So all kinds of work, including artistic work and working with one's hands, can be regarded as holy work for the Lord, can't it? One of the commentators that I read, I think, made a really great point. He said this, he said, Bezalel and Aholiab may not have had the ceremonial anointing with oil of the priesthood, but they had the reality which it symbolized, the filling of the Holy Spirit. It is not only for what we might class as spiritual work that the Holy Spirit comes to equip us. He was there when the craftsman's drawings were made, when the wood was carved, when the carpentry was done. He was the inspiration of the weaver and the smith, the needleworker, the tailor, and the chemist. Wherever a willing heart commits itself to hear the call of God and to do the will of God, the filling of the Spirit of God may reverently be assumed. Helping at administration are as much his concern as healing and speaking in tongues. And he draws that from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So sometimes we think of certain gifts as holier than other gifts, and yet we see here working with hands, doing beautiful work is holy work. It is work for the honor of the Lord. I think all work can be done in service to the Lord. And it can be done, it should be done with excellence, shouldn't it? One of the reasons why God chose these men for this task is because they were good at what they did. We're talking about the tabernacle of the Lord, aren't we? This is the holy place. This is where God is going to put his presence. And so he's choosing people who are good at what they do and who will invest all of their effort in what they do. And then above that, he's going to super abundantly bless them by giving them his spirit for that task. But all work and service to the Lord should be done with excellence and to the best of one's ability and to the best of the ability that the spirit gives us in the accomplishment of that work. God gifts people with different abilities and talents for his service. God specifically anointed Bezalel and Aholiab for this service and bestowed on them wisdom and skill for the task. They were given the gift of God's Holy Spirit for this most important task. Now, here's the comparison and contrast between them and us. For Bezalel and Aholiab, they had a temporary special anointing by the Holy Spirit for this specific task. In fact, oftentimes in the Old Testament, when we see someone filled with the Holy Spirit, it is in that way. They are, they are gifted with ability for a certain task. In the New Testament, in Christ now, in the New Covenant, we have not a temporary blessing of the Holy Spirit. We have a permanent indwelling of the Spirit, don't we? We have a permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not leave the children of God. He comes, he regenerates us, he makes us alive, he indwells us for all of the rest of our lives, for all of eternity. And as a part of his indwelling of us, the New Testament teaches that the Holy Spirit, when he makes us a child of God, he also blesses us with gifts. 
And according to the will of God, the Holy Spirit distributes different gifts and talents to the body of Christ. So that all of those different gifts and talents may be used in harmony for the sake of building up the body of Christ. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians. This is from Ephesians chapter 4. He says, To each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And in other places in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 12, in 1 Peter, Romans 12, we see different listings of gifts that the Lord has blessed and given to his body. Whether that be teaching or administration, helping, ministering, generosity, all kinds of different gifts that God has given to us. Some of us are good with the use of our hands. We can fix things. We can build things. Some of us are good at public speaking. Others of us are good at just coming alongside and encouraging someone with a a prayer or a word of encouragement. We're gifted at many different things, aren't we? And God has put us together here in the body. And all of those works and whatever we do can be done for the glory and honor of the Lord. And they can all be considered holy work. And so God calls and he equips his people for holy work. The second part of this passage, beginning in verse 12 through verse 18, we see that God provides for and he invites his people into his holy rest. God provides for and he calls, he invites his people into his holy rest. So we read in the last part of this passage that God reminds Moses that they are to observe the Sabbath and not forget the Sabbath day. Why would this come here? It it seems a little bit odd in its placement here in Exodus because we've been talking about the furnishings of the temple, the the design of the, uh, or the tabernacle, the the design of the tent itself, the, the materials that would go into it, the anointing of Aaron and his sons, consecrating them for the priesthood, the garments that they would wear, and now the men who are going to oversee all of that and make sure that it's all done well and according to God's instructions. And then God says to Moses, remember the Sabbath. Why, why here? Why now? I think for a couple of reasons. One is, as a reminder to Bezalel and Aholiab and to all the people who are going to be engaged in this work, even though you are doing an incredibly important, holy work for the Lord in making these things and building the tabernacle, you must still take a day off once a week and honor the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is more important than the tent that he lives in. Right? 
I think that's what this is showing us. Why this reminder about the Sabbath? Well, I think it's a, a reminder of what we're doing all of this for. So all of this instruction about building the tabernacle and its design and all these furnishings, all of this down to the minutest detail of how this is to be done, God is reminding them now by, by drawing their attention back to Sabbath, here's why we're doing all of this. Yes, the tent is holy, but the reason the tent is going to be holy is because the Lord is going to be there, right? It's not the, the linen that makes the tent holy. It's not the gold overlaying the wood on the Ark of the Covenant that makes it holy. What makes it holy is the Lord is there, and he blesses it with his presence. And so in order for the Lord to be in the midst of his people and for them to be his people and him be their God, he's reminding them, you've got to observe the Sabbath that I set the example for in creation and you are to follow in my example. And each week, remember my Sabbath. And so it's, it's a time in which God calls his people into his holy rest. I think there are several things that the Sabbath can teach us. And now we have to remember that we are separated from this Old Testament Israel context, aren't we? So we as New Covenant Christians do not relate to the seventh day Sabbath day exactly in the same way that Old Testament Israelites did. I think in the New Testament, especially in even what we're looking at now in Romans 14 and 15, and in Colossians 2, we see that the observance of special holy days such as Sabbaths are more matters of conscience for the Christian today under the New Covenant. But under the Old Covenant, it was not a matter of conscience. It was a matter of command. Under the Old Covenant, you had to specifically obey the Sabbath day and not do any work on the Sabbath day. If you desecrated the Sabbath day, you were to be put to death. That's, that's not a matter of conscience. That's the matter of command, isn't it? So that's pretty serious. That's pretty significant. So, so we're separated from this context, but I think there's still things that we can learn about the Lord and about our relationship to the Lord from what the Old Testament scriptures teach us about the Sabbath. And one of those is that Sabbath is an opportunity to remember the Lord's work. Sabbath is an opportunity to remember the Lord's work. He says this in here, remember in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested when it was done. So each Sabbath was an opportunity for the Israelite people, for, for us as his people, each time that we rest. It is a, an opportunity for us to remember the rest of the Lord when he accomplished his work of creation and then ceased from that work of creation. So it, it's a reminder to us of the Lord and his work. Sabbath is also an opportunity to obey the Lord, especially for the Israelites in this Old Testament context. The Sabbath was an opportunity to hear the word of the Lord and to put the word of the Lord into practice. To obey it. Now, in their context, there were specific instructions about how to obey the Sabbath. There were repercussions if you did not obey the Sabbath, pretty serious repercussions. It says if someone desecrates the Sabbath, they are to be put to death, and not only put to death, they're to be cut off from their people. You think, well, how can you be worse than dying? Well, being cut off from your people has spiritual implications. 
and I believe implications for eternal destiny. So it's one thing to die a physical death. It's another thing to be cut off from the name of God's people. And so very serious consequences for those who would disobey the Sabbath. But it's an opportunity for them to honor the Lord by hearing his word and by obeying it, trusting him. Sabbath is an opportunity to rest in the Lord. And that's really what the original purpose of the Sabbath was, isn't it? To, to rest. That's what it means. That the idea of Sabbath is to stop. To stop, to cease from working. And, and even though we are not under the same law application of the Sabbath as the Old Testament Israelites were, I think we still see a pattern in creation, don't we, that it's good for us to rest. It's good for us to rest. God designed for us to rest. You can't go on working day in, day out, and expect to be refreshed and be encouraged and maintain your energy and your focus. God designed our bodies to rest. He designed our bodies to rest at night when we sleep, but he also designed us to have a certain rhythm to life and to take times off to rest and to refresh ourselves. But it was an opportunity for God's people to not just rest, but to rest in the Lord. To put their lives in His care. The Sabbath is an opportunity to identify as the Lord's holy covenant people. What is interesting about this passage is that it specifically refers to the Sabbath as a sign of the covenant. Now, when we think of a sign of the covenant... We think of something like the rainbow that God gave to Noah after the flood. God entered into a covenant with Noah and said, I will never flood the world again. Here's the sign. It's a rainbow. God entered into a covenant with Abraham and said, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore. God entered into a covenant with him. And the sign of that covenant was circumcision. Well, God has entered into a covenant now with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. What is the sign of that covenant? It is the Sabbath day. And the interesting thing about circumcision, circumcision was also required of the Israelite people, all the descendants of Abraham. But the thing about circumcision as a sign is it was a one-time act, wasn't it? Circumcision as a sign, as an identifying marker of being a part of the covenant people of God, it was a one-time act. But Sabbath was a perpetual act, wasn't it? So every week and every special feast day, every special feast that would come along, it was a reminder that you belong to God. And here's how you show that you belong to God. You honor Him on His day, on His Sabbath day. And so it was a perpetual weekly sign of being the Lord's holy people. And if you notice what it says, observe the Sabbath in verse 14, observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. And in verse 13, he says, this will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. How is it that we are a set-apart, sacred, holy people of God? It's because God has made us such. God has called us to Himself. He's made us His holy people. 
And the Sabbath was an opportunity for the Old Testament Israelites to honor the Lord and remember their covenant relationship that they shared with the Lord. And it was a perpetual sign, a a frequent marker and reminder that they were in, in fellowship with the Lord. The Sabbath also is an opportunity to trust the Lord's provision. The Sabbath is an opportunity to trust the Lord's provision. Do you remember when the Sabbath really got its first put into practice opportunity with the Lord's people was when they were coming out of Egypt and they needed food and God provided manna for them, but he didn't provide manna for them on the seventh day. Why? Because they were supposed to rest. But what did he do? He provided double. He provided enough for them on the sixth day that it would last through the seventh day. In other words, they had to depend on God, didn't they? They had to depend on God. They had to trust God. And in resting, they had to remember that ultimately it's not up to me and my powers to take care of myself. Ultimately, it's up to the Lord to take care of me. And he will provide for me. Sometimes when we overwork, it's because we think, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? If I don't get it done, then... All these things are going to happen. These repercussions are going to happen. Sometimes we work ourselves thinking that it all depends on us. But when we rest, we remember to depend upon the Lord. And that He is the one who ultimately provides for us and our needs. So I think this passage, both parts of this passage call us to two areas of our lives in which we can seek to be God's holy people. We can be God's holy people in our work and we can engage in holy work. And holy work is not just what we might call spiritual occupations or holy occupations. Any work that is done to the honor and the glory of the Lord can be holy work. We also see here that we are called to a holy rest, to depend upon the Lord, to trust in his provision to remember his great works that he has done in the past. It is an opportunity to trust and to rest in him. And so I hope that this passage will remind us, teach us that the work that we do, we do because the Lord enables us to do it and we do it for his honor. And the rest that we engage in, we rest because it's a gift from the Lord and like work, we do it for his honor. And so holy rest and holy work. May we as God's people engage in that as God's people did so long ago. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, you are holy. You are righteous. You have graciously made us your covenant people. Not that we deserved it. Not that we had done anything to earn it. But Lord, out of your love and your grace... You called us to yourself, and you made us your holy people. Lord, I pray that you would remind us, teach us, that in all that we do, no matter what occupations we're engaged in, no matter what service we may be doing for the body of Christ, whether it's something that's more out front, public, whether it's something that's more behind the scenes, Lord, whatever it is that we're engaged in, We can do it for your honor, and we can do it as holy work unto the Lord. God, remind us of that. 
Remind us of the gift of rest that you've given to us. And Lord, remind us through our our periods of rest and when we trust in you and rest in you, that there is ultimately a rest that's coming in the future kingdom of God for the people of God. So Father, I pray that you would bless us as your people. May we rest in you and may we work in the power and the strength that you give us by your spirit. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. Help us to be your people, children of light. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.